Hello, Annie Trenders! Welcome back to another episode of Girl Taku! This is our second episode, and we are really, really excited to cover our next topic, which is probably going to be a bit of a controversial one.、Um, but before we get into it, let's introduce ourselves again, ladies.、Uh, we are the ladies of Anime Trending, and I am Gracie.、Um, I participate in the Anime Trending podca- main podcast channel, as well as the fact that、um, I write articles and post a lot of content on social. Social media. And we also have、uh, Isabel here. I'm mostly an editor on the website.、Uh, sometimes I do also write articles and participate in the main podcast as well,、uh, but I'm glad to be a part of Girl Taku here. And I'm Agnes. I'm also another editor and a contributor to the main podcast. And they are all very, very lovely, even though we are all quite different from each other, as you guys probably learned from、um, our talks about genres and what we prefer. So,、um, this week we are going to do quite a bit of a topic. We are going to cover、um, toxic romantic relationships within anime, specifically couples that、um, you know, are considered end game and considered very much real relationships and couples that we don't necessarily agree with because、um, we think their relationship is actually it's, it's less, it's less about just not shipping them. And more about how we actually find the relationship they have with one another、uh, toxic with each other. So,、um, I do want to warn that we will be going to spoilers because of that.、Um, and uh, what I'll do is, I will, each of us will announce our three ships、um, right before we start talking, and as well as the anime that they come from, just so you guys are aware in case you want to skip it. Or,、um, you know, in case if you guys want to skip the whole episode, please feel free to do so before you're ready to come back in, because we don't want to accidentally spoil anything that you guys aren't ready to hear. So, I shall go first today. So, my three ships、um, are、uh, Riku, Rikuo, and Haru from Sing Yesterday for Me, which aired very, very recently,、um, spring of 2020. And then my second ship is.、Um, Raftalia and Naofumi from Rising of the Shield Hero, which was winter of 2018. And finally, my third ship is、uh, from Mirai Yuki,、um, which is a very, very old anime. But just in case,、um, you, if any of you guys listening、uh, do want to watch those anime and you haven't seen it yet, and、um, you, know, you don't want to get spoiled on our deep discussion about. Specifically for me, why these three relationships represent toxic romantic relationships,、um, please feel free to skip through. So, I will start with the first one because that's the one that's freshest on my mind Rikuo and Haru. I was so angry about this ship that I legitimately wrote in a ship rant and published it on our article, especially because、um, our voters voted for this main couple to be top couple of spring of. Of spring 2020, beating out couples like Kyo and Toru, as well as、uh, Shirogane and Kaguya, who are two very, very solid, non toxic romantic relationships,、um, which was just extremely, extremely unsettling. So,、um, before we go in further,、um, Isabel, Agnes, have any of you guys seen? seen Have any of you guys seen Seen Yesterday for Me?、Um, as well as, like, are aware of the couple itself? Yeah, for me, I'm aware of the couple、um, just because it did pretty well on our charts as well as the anime.、Um, but I personally actually haven't seen it, so I can't speak too much on it.、Mm-hmm. I watched about half of the show before getting bored with it. <laughs> and in particular, I also have on my list Riku and Haru as either a toxic relationship, partially because it is, and partially because I dislike it. <laughs> so it becomes a bias. Okay, well, I'm going to go in with、um, why specifically I didn't like this,、um, which is funny because I think both of you two read my ship rant already. So,、um, I think we both edited it. Yes. <laughs> So, you guys have actually a bit of an idea. I'm the,、uh, like, I, I love these two. They help me with grammatical errors all the time.、Um, so, I think Rikuo and Haru, what really, really bothers me is how the anime portrays Haru's、um, feelings towards Rikuo as、uh, love, 
You know, and I understand that there are translation、um, issues. There's a lot of times where, when an when an anime character、um, confesses, they say they love them, even though we sort of understand in the context that it was more like they like them and not really love them yet. But in this case, it was actually like Haru feels like she's in love with Rikuo, and the truth of the matter is she's not. Like she's infatuated with him. Because no matter like how anyone tries to spin it, like the moment she supposedly fell in love with Rikuo was extremely, extremely one-sided and brief. Like he he dropped something and she picked it up for him, and he was very nice to her about it. Like at least for me, I cannot say that anyone can genuinely fall in love with anyone else, guy or girl. Um, over such a small act, like you can find them attractive for sure, you know,、um, but you can't actually fall in love with them because of the fact that you know you don't know anything about them. They are literally a stranger to you. The only thing you have going off of them is how you felt in that one instance they did something, and to me that's very very toxic because. The, when you're going into a relationship already with such high expectations on like what your feelings are, especially when you、uh, misunderstand infatuation with actual love,、um, you're so desperate to receive any affection back that you tend to bow down for anything to sort of get it to match with what you think is real and what is love, and that's exactly what. Uh, Haru does to Rikuo, and Rikuo screws her over pretty badly because of that. But she just keeps brushing it aside because she's so so desperate and wanting him to reciprocate because she feels this supposed love、um, towards him. So that's like the baseline of why I find this relationship incredibly toxic. And does Rikuo ever like acknowledge that fact at all in in the show or? He just kind of like takes it and runs with it, and they're like together or something. And Haru just maybe she, she's totally blind to it. And does anyone ever point that out to her? No, no one ever points. I think that was another big problem is that we never really see Haru have have any real friends. And I know that sounds really mean, but like she genuinely like aside from her boss, who she kind of talks to and have a friendly relationship with, you don't see her with any other girlfriends or just guy friends who. Um, are able to sit down with her and be like, I don't know, like I, I feel like this guy isn't taking you seriously and stuff like that. It's、um, so to answer your question because that that kind of like went off on the side.、Uh, no, I don't think、um, I don't think he ever really acknowledges it, except at the very very end of the series. So how they get together is basically.、Um, Uh, Rikuo was dating another girl or another woman called Shinako, and、um, and they broke up. And then、um, the reason why is Rikuo says that、um, he feels bad for Haru. And in the end, I guess he he was just like, I guess I did like the attention I received from her, which just sounds so so wrong to me. If that was the reason why you're gonna get together with a girl is because you like the attention. I don't know. It just seems very shallow to me. What do you guys? Or、think? if anything, it sounds like oh, I like I like the whole attention. That's it, <laughs> which is like pretty <laughs> derogatory in itself. But at the baseline, it's pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's literally how they got together. And then it was like he goes over there, and then he confesses to her, and she immediately like accepts it. She was happy, and that was it. There was like it was just like,、um, and by screwing her over, what I mean is,、um, so Haru is very open. On her emotions towards him for obvious reasons,、um, but Rikuo, while he clearly wasn't interested in her that way because he was pursuing another woman, he never officially rejects her. You know what I mean? Like he he sort of stays in this wishy washy zone in the in like the whole time, and so、um, and he does end up feeling bad about that, which he absolutely should. But it just to me doesn't excuse the way that he sort of like held her on a hook and、um, would reel her in for a few seconds before pushing her away because it it, was, it almost felt like he didn't want to lose the infatuation she had on him, but he wasn't actually interested in her. So that's what it felt like for me. 
But um, Agnes, I know you mentioned that you actually have this ship on your list as well. So um, why, what, what made you like dislike it or find it toxic? I definitely thought that the infatuation was really weird. And also, I kind of had this sinking feeling that the infatuation is deeply rooted in the idea of, um, what is it, first, uh, first sight, first love, first love, first sight, which leads into the fact that Haru just kind of falls in love with this guy who just shows one simple act of kindness and he tries to take, he quote unquote unintentionally takes advantage of that so he can kind of mm, satisfy his own need for having the attention of a girl because Shinoko is clearly not reciprocating that because she is still mourning over the loss of her first love. Which becomes a very confusing circle of events because everyone's, it's just a love triangle where people are just chasing after each other. But it's not realistic because many of these characters, even though they're alone because there's been quote unquote ostracized by society or whatever, they, the fact that they don't have friends or someone that they can talk to about these issues is concerning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And he, unfortunately, he doesn't change either throughout the series. Um, he he does end up dating Shinako, and in typical fashion, he hid that fact from Haru. So Haru's continuing to like flirt with him, you know, and do all this stuff with him, and he's just like letting her do it to him without telling her that hey, I'm actually dating another woman now. So <laughs> that's a butthole move. I'm censoring myself for that, but that is a butthole move. <laughs> <laughs> and um. I think something else I find interesting is, so I posted about my uh, ship rant to our social channels, and um, so most people on Twitter actually agreed with my opinion on the fact that this isn't a healthy ship, but uh, Facebook um, had more disagreements in regards to it, and I think some of the comments were especially interesting, most of them made by guys, um, one of which who said that he doesn't believe you can't fall in love with someone in what in like in first instance and he legitimately wrote and i quote like have you never met someone just so beautiful you it, like it just takes your breath away and in my head I, w I remember thinking when i read that comment i was like yeah i have and that just means i think i find them sexually attractive that that does not equate <laughs> to actual love <laughs> so um right. So I think it's interesting how people do like this ship. Like, what do you think led this ship to be voted as number one, even though clearly um, we have two of us here who don't support it at all and actually find it to be quite toxic? And um, and I'm guessing, Isabel, you agree with what you've been hearing from us so far. Like, why do you think people would even vote for this ship? I don't know, it's definitely hard to say why people might like, maybe they see kind of like themselves in that. Like I can definitely see myself probably as uh, kind of like Haru, just kind of like throwing things away or like seeing red flags or having no attention from a guy and still going after them. So I think a lot of people can probably relate to that and kind of want it to happen, right? So, so I feel like it's kind of, you know, looking back on themselves and then putting themselves in that situation, just kind of hoping that it'll happen. And it and it did happen technically in the anime. So I think that's why they might support that ship. Overall. I see. That's a, that's definitely an angle mm -hmm. I didn't think of. Um. But you would think that if somebody was in a relationship long enough, you know, past the f uh, first, uh, what is it? First love, first sight. I can never get these right. <laughs> Oh, that rhymed. But uh, for the most part, even if people can relate to that, when you sincere, I believe when you sincerely start dating somebody for maybe a couple weeks, months, or years, you start noticing certain flaws and qualities about them that you can no longer deny. So the question now becomes like, is first love, first sight going to be still deeply rooted in infatuation and people can't separate that between true, genuine love? Or is it just a subset of it? Because in the anime culture right now, or at least still in a lot of very traditionalist cultures, like people still romanticize on the first love for sight 
it's popular in mainstream media, books, movies, whatever you have. I mean, you look at Twilight. Twilight's one of the biggest hits in <sighs> young adult fan... Uh, no, not fan fiction. Young adult <laughs> fiction. Uh, I was so close to saying fan fiction. That's, 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 uh, that's, that's a different series. Um, but you look at Twilight, for instance, you know, Belle somehow, like, catches the gaze of Edwards across her chemistry class, and she feels, like, this tug of emotions. And I'm like, okay, girl, you're just sexually attracted to him. But guess what? They have a baby and they're married. So it's like, <laughs> okay. I think, I know this isn't like part of the topic really, but um, I think um, a good example of an anime that does make sexual attraction and, um, or specifically infatuation and um, love differentiated is actually uh, 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 Shirayuki, uh, so Snow, Snow White with the red hair. Because um, it was clear, like, from first sight, like, the Zen and Shirayuki were very, very attracted to each other. But they seemed to distinguish that. They, they knew they just really were interested in each other, but that was it. Like, they weren't truly, truly in love until the series progressed. And so, um, and I do agree, like, that is, like... That is something that people as a whole are fascinated with, like falling in love with true sight or falling in love for sight. Um, but it's just for me, I don't, I just don't think that's a good representation of how relationships are. And once again, it can become quite dangerous when you confuse infatuation for, um, for love. And what ends up happening is what ends up happening to Haru is that she forgives Rikuo for every single little thing because she's just milking for any affections that he can give her. So, and that's the darker side of the fall falling in love at first sight is that you become so attached and desperate for these people, but you don't make any efforts to break away from the relationship or have more genuine relationships as in like friendships family relationships, etc., outside of what you're attached to. Um, I guess it kind of, it feeds into very dangerous tropes that can come into this, like for instance, like narcissism. So like if you get into a relationship with like a narcissist, for instance, luckily Rico is not quite a narcissist, no, questionable. No, he's not, because no. he did say like, oh I do like the attraction. So I don't know. <laughs> But getting, but becoming so desperate and clinging onto people's affections can lead to predators like narcissists who prey on these people's feelings and basically manipulate and use them. And it makes people, and Haru, not to mention, Haru is barely an adult. She is still finishing her last couple of years of high school. She is so vulnerable to the outside world and yet she still clings onto Riku like he's the savior yeah that's a good point as well which is really really dangerous personally I feel like if Haru had decided to like you know break away from school and still continue to work longer outside of school then I think she would have met better people but unfortunately, because she was ostracized from bullying and being, you know, doesn't have family to support her, she just has a bunch of crows with her. She's so just like, oh, I guess Riku is my man. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. So when you talk to animals, that becomes an issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, hashtag Agnes does not support Cinderella. <laughs> Cinderella has its own problems, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Okay, well, I shall move on to my second ship. I might skip my third one because I want to give you guys uh, the chance to talk about yours for sure. Um, And if we have time to go back to my third one. But um, my second one is, once again, uh, Raftalia and Naofumi from uh, Rising of the Shield Hero, which is another popular ship. So I'm just picking ships for people to go after me today. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) Um, I have very specific reasons on why I find this uh, ship to be toxic. So um, I do think this ship is different from Rikuo and Haru in the fact that um, while Rikuo is just completely like dismissive and in my in my honest opinion, sort of like using her for for getting attention without like giving her any commitment. Um, I don't think Naofumi does that. I think it's more of just the situation isn't exactly a healthy situation because um, there's two things going. First of all, um, he did buy her or they didn't meet as a child when or when Raftalia was a child. And I know people will argue and say that 
Raftalia turns into an adult like within two weeks because of how her species work. When they level up, they physically level up as well. But that still doesn't really change the mentality, in my opinion, at least. Like I don't, I don't think Raftalia like mentally went from a small girl to a teenager within a span of two weeks. Because and it's and it becomes especially disconcerting when, um, like. From the way that Naofumi treats her at the beginning, it seems very fatherly, or at, at the very least, very mentory. And um, and while I know that Japanese culture actually really loves um, the romantic trope of a student falling in love with a teacher, um, it's a very dangerous position to be in because when the mentor is part of a romantic relationship, they naturally ha- hold a lot more power over the other person. And it could not, it could even be done in a very non-malicious way, but it doesn't change the fact that A, you, um, the mentor has more life experience and thus just overall knows more. And then B, um, the mentor's brain is sort of automatically wired to see the student to um to be less mature and thus needs a lot of hand holding and needs a lot of instructions and stuff like that and so um and that leads to extreme extreme power imbalance in relationships and power imbalance in romantic relationships are an absolute nightmare to go through especially if anyone listening who's unfortunately gone through a power imbalance um, romantic relationship can probably attest to um i have a friend i had or i do i have a friend who went through um, a relationship that was a huge power imbalance and it was a big big issue because the one that simply just knew more and had more experience in life has a harder time seeing and taking the other person seriously just for that reason alone so so that's my first angle. And of course, my second angle is the very, very problematic side of, oh, the fact that he bought her, you know, which once again introduces another uh, sort of power um, power discrepancy. Because if you literally have the actual power to buy a person, a human being, to be in your employment, and especially um, when Raftalia, even like after she got her slave mark removed she like got it back again which makes it impossible for her to ever disobey him like that's just really scary and it just it just doesn't sit right and it honestly is not healthy for an actual romantic relationship so that's my view on the ship um i don't know if you two have seen it or heard about it but i am now curious to hear what you think (laughs) yeah i've seen some of shield hero uh, but i obviously didn't see enough um, I did see Ralph Talia and Nalfumi kind of getting together, or at least, I mean, I know they were on the adventure together and everything, right? Um, but yeah, I can't say too much about their relationship. I would have to take your word for it there. Um, but like, does Nalfumi also, you know, say that he likes Ralph Talia or some? Are there any instances where there's, you know, any romance? So, in the anime or show? Not yet, but at the very, very end, there's a shot that's like kind of of suspect because it looks like they're kissing, but it could just be they're hugging. So you don't really mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. so dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's hard for me to say. I mean, um, and Raftalia flirts with him, but granted, Raftalia is a very, very flat character. Um, so it's it's hard to talk about her character for real, essentially. But no matter, like to me, it's like just the basis, the foundation of how their relationship started is very of suspect for any sort of romantic relationship to uh, ensue. Right, especially how it starts off, especially since she's his slave first and he's the leader and it keeps going like that and then that she can't like you said she can't um disobey him because of the i guess some kind of like a mark or something is that yeah. what you said yeah about that yeah so i guess that makes it really hard it's not definitely not a great start for a relationship at all yeah i read a good chunk of shield here before the anime came out so i am pretty aware at first when i was reading it i was like oh this is fine this is very typical anime like i shouldn't expect most out of it um because the slave trope surprisingly is pretty common in doujin series um 
anime series and things like that, a BL to it's not something extraordinarily new. But I do take, uh, as Gracie said, I do take issue with the age thing because if you think about it, the story is no not any different if he had bought Reftalia when she was actually mature. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> There's literally no story difference at all. If he had bought her when he was she was mature, like if she was at the current like physique she is now and had the maturity of enduring her life as a, as a slave instead of, you know, leveling up within two weeks like an RPG character, it would make it more relatable because Raftalia now processes all the mental um has all the mental capabilities and also understands that the world is very cruel, but she chooses to be kind towards her slave master, Naofumi, for instance. Um, because from what I saw in ANN comments, people were saying, people in ANN were flaming it a lot, but people were also saying, like, well, you know, one of the problems with this is that Naofumi and Raftalia were alone in this very cruel and tragic world, which is why they clung to each other. But in terms of like the romantic part and the slave mark and her being young and then suddenly transforming within two weeks is very, very problematic. It doesn't make sense in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I and just yeah. and honestly, I just think the whole like slave mark and it's like and people will argue and say like, oh, it just shows how devoted she is to him that she would never. You can be devoted without a slave mark. Look at people who are married. Yes, like, no, people exactly. in real life having and, real relationships or people. Or like people who are in a testament of 10 years in a relationship, for instance, mm-hmm. you don't need a slave mark or a matching tattoo to say like, we're bonded forever. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> like, I mean, you've seen like some high school couples do that. And then of course they break up after they leave high school. So like, that's like, haha, that's a joke on you. That's your slave mark, but whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, I know people argue, say like, oh, because, you know, now if doesn't trust anyone, and that's her way of showing that, you know, she, she, he can trust her and stuff like that. And I'm just like, their slave mark literally makes it impossible for her to disobey him when he um, orders her to do something. What if they're in a normal disagreement? Like, disagreements happen. Like, that's, it's just, the fact that even if he won't ever, like, force her or order her to do anything, the power is still there that he could. And unfortunately, in my honest opinion, I think most people in these sort of relationships will absolutely abuse that power. So, um... Yeah, they're trying to make Naofumi tragic enough so that he'll never quote-unquote resort to using it. But it's not... It's It doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I don't find it making any sense at all. It feels like this slave mark, the fact that he can order around to do anything, is potentially on the same level as a geas within like code geas forms. Of course, it's not related to like romantic relationships, but the fact that the geas is so strong that it can make people like commit suicide or make people go against people that they love with their own morals. If he does that to Raftalia, then where's her individuality as a person? Where's her as a character? Not to mention she's already really flat as it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. And especially the whole parallel. Like, I love how you pointed out, like, uh, people in long-term relationships don't need brands to show that. No, you don't. You re- And even people in long-term relationships can break up anytime, too. Yeah. And that's Over okay. people cheating. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nothing is permanent. But people need to realize that you can make things permanent without having to enforce it onto another person. That just becomes what they call not the uh, not safe for work term, but literal bondage, as in the term that you are tied together for life and you can't do anything outside of it. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, that's my gripes of two <laughs> toxic relationships in anime that is very popular. And I know some people are going to listen to it and are about to throw eggshells on my home. So, um, But that is, in my honest opinion, on why this is toxic. And I hope there are some listeners who do agree with what we've discussed and like why it is what it is. Um, so, Isabel, do you want to talk about your two? I think you had two as well. <laughs> Yeah, I had two main ones. Um, as I mentioned um, before we started the podcast, uh, just highlighting two of them. They're actually pretty similar. Uh, the first one is Scum's Wish, 
And then the second one is Love and Lies. Um, both of these anime, they actually focus on relationships in general. And I feel like they have like really intricate love triangles or love squares. Um, love and pentagons. And then they like, go through the relationship. <laughs> Pretty much pentagons too. I don't know. There are other characters pentagons. that I there are other characters I've forgotten at this point. Um, but yeah, just starting because you mentioned you know Naofumi and Raftalia having that power imbalance, and I think that really ties into the ship that I had uh, with Hanabi and Mugi uh, with their teachers. So Hanabi and Mugi are the characters in Scum's Wish who are in love with their teachers, but their teachers love each other. And so the students are kind of left with this unrequited love with their teachers. And that's kind of like a very terrible relationship, I would say. And they and the two students, Hanabi and Mugi, they kind of come together because they agree that, oh, we'll be boyfriend and girlfriend and satisfy our needs. Um, so that, you know, just fulfilling that aspect of love that they're not able to get from their teachers. Um, and not to mention their teachers too, Narumi, which is the guy um, that Hanabi's um, into, but then uh, is also only an older uh, brother type character that he thinks. He thinks that Hanabi is kind of like his little sister, but Hanabi's like totally in love with him. Um, and then Akane, uh, who Mugi looks up to as a tutor, um, she is also uh, a character in herself. Um, but have you two seen Scum Wish at all? Just wondering if you guys can speak on these ships as well or oh, okay Girl, i so have it, not... but <laughs> this relationship already sounds messy <laughs> it is very messy um i do like how the anime does go into their you know relationships though um kind of like how hanabi and mugi kind of do everything to, like they they actually know each other like they've been together like on the, on the outside when they're at school everyone thinks they're like a perfect couple but in reality, they're not really a couple. They distinguish the fact that they like their teachers, their, their respective teachers, and that they're just satisfying each other's needs. And then I think towards the end, um, they even get, you know, they even, uh, you know, cheer each other on to go and confess to the teachers, which doesn't really end up that well. I also want to highlight Akane, who Mugi is into. Um, I think they do like hook up maybe like once in the anime, and Mugi realizes that Akane is totally not into him. Akane in her character, she's also terrible in that she likes seducing men, and she's, she's in that sense she's she's not faithful to the teacher Narumi, um, and she just really likes that attention. So all all around, I feel like most of the show has all these. Uh, toxic things that people are kind of doing to each other they're in relationships that they necessarily don't want and they're still longing for that or have the desire for another person or someone else that they're not together with Mm -hmm. why does this sound like sing for facing to me sing yesterday to me but in the sexual (laughs) term (laughs) like they're all trying to satisfy each other's like void and needs and they come up just dry and empty at the end of it dang talk about dismal (laughs) it's true though none of them achieve a happy ending at least from what i'm hearing about scum's wish um i I do um agree with isabel in regards to the fact that the relationships are absolutely not um healthy relationships at all and it's a it's a cycle of toxicity where they just keep fueling each other but um the one thing that i do appreciate this anime doing is they ultimately didn't romanticize the relationship because both of them like both the main characters realized that they were in extremely screwed up situations and screwed up like emotional states in regards to being in love with like people and not let, being able to let them go and the anime ended with both of them being like we need to move on like we need to become better and we need to like sort of let this go so I will give the anime credit for that yeah I do appreciate that at the end like they kind of realized that so at the anime in a whole yes uh, towards the end I feel like the characters definitely grew it doesn't matter which character. I feel like they all grew in some sense. Um, but like the relationships leading up to that are a very good examples of what you would definitely not want in real life, I feel like. Most definitely. <laughs> so what about Love and Lies? Love and Lies, I feel like, is also very similar in a sense. Um, I feel like the characters are younger, though, and it's less melodramatic as Scum's Wish. Um, and Love and Lies, they... they, they 
there's already this premise where they, they so they live in a world where um, people are assigned marriage partners. So I, I forget which age, oh but yeah, it's, at one it's age. A, it's you, a dystopian. <laughs> I, I've seen it as well. I like, yeah. I like to think of it as a dystopian. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting premise, right? Yeah, you get, you get arranged your marriage partner depending on, you know, all your qualifications and this person uh, should match you. So it's like the system is the matchmaker. And of course, that's problem, problematic because if you actually like someone and they're not, you know, arranged uh, with you, then you kind of have to break that off or you kind of have to like keep your feelings to yourself. And so that's kind of like the main character guy, uh, Yukari. Um, he's the guy, main character, who uh, really likes uh, Misaki, who's um, pretty much the girl that everyone wants to date. He's, she's like super popular, really pretty, really nice, uh, but he never really has the guts to talk to her or confess oh, to her. Oh, and voiced by Kana Hanazawa, just to nail that point in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Many would harp about Kanazawa if he was here. <laughs> but yeah, so so Misaki's there, and then um, but before I think he before he even tries to even confess to her, he he is set up with an arranged marriage um, with a girl named uh, Ririna, and uh, Ririna is kind of like a I feel like a typical tsundere type. She she's never been in love technically, and she kind of like dotes on Yukari a little bit, and um. She even thinks that uh, Yukari and Misaki should get together in front of them. Even though they're in arranged marriage, it's okay. Yukari can go ahead and go for Misaki and confess to her, and that's okay. And then Misaki, in a sense, also just kind of lets him do that. She kind of just leads him on and continues with the relationship. Even though Misaki and uh, Ririna become friends, um, they can't really be friends and have the same guy, right? So I feel like that kind of love triangle in the, in that series um, was really kind of weird in a sense. Like one was leading them on and then um, Irina was kind of like holding back her love. Like she falls in love with Yukari a little bit, but she kind of holds them back like, oh, they should be together because I think they like each other. I'm just going to watch from the outside, even though she is supposed to be like his proposed wife and stuff like that. Um but yeah, did you have any thoughts on that at all, Gracie, when you watched the show? Um, I think um, I actually thought the concept was interesting um, because um, like I-, I probably drew it way too deep. And this is like to do with the anime itself. But <laughs> with the whole arranged marriage thing, it was like according to a perfect algorithm where they learn how to match the perfect person to you. And um and they were like, and it, you know, it cuts away heartbreak and like, you know, it cuts away hardships of you ever, you know, getting a heartbreak that might, you know, um, discourage you from pursuing a relationship. And um, I had a whole thing in my head where I, once again, probably thought too hard on this, but I was like, I like the theme because it's a question of um, should you let kids, you know, because they are kids, they're teenagers, um, should you let kids make the mistakes and let them learn from it with the risk of them getting permanently hurt and never recovering, which unfortunately some people have after a heartbreak, but it's like, or should you just hand the perfection to them right off from the start and just let them be happy, but in a sense, ignorant and not have to go through the life skills for it. So I thought like the theme setup was interesting for, um, the relationships. I will say I didn't necessarily think it was toxic. I just thought it was really, really messy and confusing, but definitely not to the level of like scum's wish where I was like, oh yeah, this is a very, very toxic situation. So um, I thought it was more like they all had hormones and they didn't really know what to do about it with them, especially in a world like that. But that was my personal opinion on the matter. Yeah, I definitely would put Love and Lies kind of uh, like a lighter version of Scum's Wish, not so much talking about toxic relationships and stuff like that. Um, But I thought it was a good anime to highlight with all these relationships together that, you know, it might be something that these teenagers might go through or people in the real world might go through as well. Mm-hmm. hopefully they're not so um if i can ask isabel exactly like if if you, you know if you say there was a theme for example power imbalance is a big one for me for rough talia and now for me like what would you say like is the underlying theme that sort of makes the relationships and love and lies um toxic to you specifically 
I think it might be in the title. Lies. Uh, they lie to each other a lot. They lie to their friends. They lie to whoever. They they keep secrets from each other. Um, so for me, they they have a really big big communication barrier. They're not able to express their feelings correctly. Yukari needs to man up and just choose a girl or do something. She <laughs> doesn't. Isabel so, is going yeah. in, guys. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, yeah, I think they that's a really, really big issue in that. But I mean, obviously they're kids and hopefully they can learn from that. And anime doesn't really, I think it doesn't really um, have a true ending in the sense that for the characters, at least, I think it continue, continues in the manga. Um, but yeah, for me, that's the issue there. Kind of their communication and uh, lying to each other is a very big issue. <laughs> Agnes, oh no. <laughs> yeah i have a feeling a lot of these toxic relationships aside from now and raftalia do have to deal with like lies and deceit um which is just very sad (laughs) because that boils down to the core very quickly oh gosh don't lie and be deceitful in romantic relationships guys (laughs) a key key yeah just just don't Mm mm-hmm Okay, but I will, um, I will agree to that assessment. Um, and, and that's definitely an interesting angle. I think I was just so caught up in like the theme and being fascinated with the theme that you're right. Like, yes, they, they are doing a lot of lying to their friends and stuff. So it's just all around not a great situation. All right. Great yeah. job, Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we move on to Agnes's ship relationships. We've already covered Rikuo and Haru, so I'm not going to go off on that. Um, but I do want to highlight two of the relationships that are, I think, kind of prime examples of toxicity. Uh, one of them is from the BL anime Given. It's the side characters Akihiko and Ugetsu, where it shows that they were kind of desperate for some kind of affection and someone to lead on, which developed into this codependent relationship that neither of them can tear apart from each other and while some people may think that it's romantic in the sense that they need each other and therefore they're perfect for each other it clearly shows that they don't try to interact with people outside of their circles or outside of each other and when they get tired of each other they don't know how to break it to the other person like hey you know i don't think we're perfect for each other anymore and one person takes too much while the other one gives too much um so i'm not sure i know i know gracie watched the show because it was gracie's article who convinced me to watch given after it finished airing yay Um, (laughs) i'm not sure if isabel watched given did you watch given isabel i did yeah i did watch it i did oh sweet okay we're all on the same page then yay (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I do agree with you, Agnes. I, I mean, just from the little, I know we're going to get more in the movie, but just the little I've seen from Ugetsu and Akihiko in like their flashbacks and everything. I'm like, oh, they're stuck with each other and neither of them are really happy and they don't know how to get out. That is very, very bad. Um, yeah, it's just weird. Uh, Ugetsu almost seems selfish in that regard. Because he just takes all from Akihiko, even though he kind of, I think he kind of knows that it's not really healthy, which is why they sort of distance each other as much as possible. Um, but they're also rooting but, uh, together, and also so they're Akihiko, not really distanced. Yeah, they're also yeah. rooting. Yeah, it's weird. It's like yeah. a weird codependent relationship where you've already kind of figured out that you don't want to be together with them anymore, but you're still sharing the same rent, <laughs> which is sad. Um and obviously, like, Akihiko is starting to go after, uh, what's what's the blonde guy do, Haruki? Mm, oh, yes, Haruki. Yeah, he's going after, he, or at least, like, he has really good relationship with Haruki, but he's still stuck, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's, that's just, a, I guess that's one of my examples of a really bad uh, toxic relationship. It's just codependency because it gets messy. I, I like that example a lot because, um, or I also kind of like how we have different shades of toxic relationships because my relationships I covered are more like they're toxic in the sense that they can easily become abusive. And um, in which case, unfortunately, a lot of real life relationships do become abusive that way. But um mm-hmm. 
and then Isabel's uh, Isabel's um, relationships um, that she talks about that are toxic are um, toxic in the fact that it's just um, it's just a it's a cycle. And um, but the good news with with at least uh, Scum's wish is that the two main characters grew and like understood and realized it was toxic and were will willing to walk forward. But um, I think what's really really important about Ugetsu and Akihiko's toxic relationship is that. It's not one that elicits violence or abuse because most people tend to think toxic relationships with, with actual abuse. They don't realize that sometimes toxic relationships means that you two are legitimately just not making each other happy and it's just in this current cycle over and over again. But because you two have either devoted so much time or feelings or both into a relationship, you kind of don't want to let it go. And so, which I feel like is what's going on with Ugetsu and Akihiko, is that in a way they've already do devoted so much of their energy into each other, it makes it harder to let the other person go, even though they both are aware they're not, their bottom line not happy, but they just don't want to let that person go, so. Yeah, I feel like it's like a huge mental toll like on both of them. I feel like that's why they're searching for other relationships or they are in other relationships, but they're still drawn to each other to some point and still living with each other. I just find that to be very weird for both of them and also very, very tiring mentally to have to deal with this person still. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we can only hope that the given movie at least... Uh, fixes that relationship either they officially decide like we're just going to be friends we're not going to be codependent to each I other i don't think they can just find be some friends. other <laughs> oh yeah you know find some sort of resolution i don't know how this show is going to handle it so many other animes have handled it poorly or done it well we'll see how it does it my only my sincerest hope is that Akiko gets together with Haruki and everything will be solved. <laughs> that is Agnes's solution. But <laughs> that is also potentially asking for too much because animes in the past have done us dirty, as we've seen in many of the series. So I can't set my expectations too high yet. I was talking to some of my social groups how, uh, and all of them have watched Given, right? And some of the girls just hate Akihiko because he just can't get over Ugetsu. Oh, but I don't, I don't think that's fair. I mean, okay. Oh no, it's not fair. It's okay, not okay. Fair. Wait, they know that. I, I, let me, let me restate this. I understand why they're frustrated. I wouldn't say. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I hate anyone who's like that, but I've definitely felt that frustration with someone, with friends who can't let the other person go, even though the relationship was absolutely 100% over. Um, I, I have felt very, very frustrated with them. But... Like, you know, I'm always playing devil's advocate. I'm always playing, you know, like, like let's try to understand the other side. Um, so an interesting thing that I've read is that when you're, when you've developed, like, emotions of love towards someone, the way that you're, um, or actually, Agnes, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, apparently the way your brain reacts to emotions of love is actually very similar to how your brain reacts to um, drugs that can... Um, that can essentially become very addicting. And so in a way, some people are literally addicted to a particular person when... Oh, um, yeah. Yep, that's definitely brain chemistry right there. Basically, you have... The body pumps out like chemicals. And depending on how much output of certain chemicals... I'm saying this in very layman's terms, by the way, just so we don't confuse our viewers or anything. Not to belittle our viewers. But this stuff gets pretty complicating you can go look it up on wikipedia or anywhere else but basically the brain secretes a lot of chemicals and things like serotonin dopamine things like that you've probably heard these terms before and they fuel into like the rewards part of the brain and can make you feel like you've done something well or you've earned like some sort of pleasure and reward so love becomes like a drug it can become very addicting because drugs change how the output of certain chemicals go through your brain and how they're processed. And in a sense, love is the same way too. There's like this onslaught of emotions and hormones and chemicals that go through your body and wire you to feel a certain way towards a certain person, even though emotionally it may not be a good thing. 
And thus, this is why Akihiko is addicted to Ugetsu, and thus, that's why he can't get together with Haruki. And thank you for coming to Agnes's medical ser- uh, sermon today. <laughs> oh, please. I, I am not medically certified whatsoever, and I don't like hospitals, so I'm not, <laughs> not going to become a doctor or a pharmacist or like a nurse, whatever you may call it. <laughs> um, I just study in this major, that's it. It's <laughs> good. Thanks for explaining to us that definitely. You're welcome. I mean, yeah. For sure. Uh, I guess that kind of like now that we've established that Akihiko and Ugetsu is uh, semi pretty toxic and it's sad toxic, and, but um, like I said, I'm a gonna, different way than what people. Think yeah, in a toxic. different way. Yeah, I will get into my main one that I really disliked for the longest time, which was a series that came back from 2006. And for fangirls who are out there, you probably remember this very dark history in the shoujo period. Which is Vampire Night featuring the love triangle of Zero, Yuki, and Kaname. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gracie's frustrated scream in the back. Um, maybe our podcast editor will, will, you know, edit out that scream. <laughs> that very muted scream. You know what? It's necessary to explain the frustration and how toxic this relationship is. I will give it a tiny small pass because it is a shoujo um, relationship and from what I've seen and read from a lot of shoujo mangas they don't really do a good job at capitalizing what is considered a normal relationship rather it preys on a lot of very typical tropes within the anime community so I will put it past that but the relationship is so messy and Yuki is so undecisive about who's her new husbando that I just I don't know how it works out I don't know how the two main leads the two male leads actually deal with it uh, uh, Zero is constantly friend zone throughout the anime but then finally gets uh, a spoiler alert finally gets a kid with Yuki after a thousand years of being in a relationship with her but apparently Kaname had sacrificed himself for the betterment of humanity but had given Yuki a kid, and then he got resurrected again to be human. Question mark. I don't know how this works. <laughs> it's just toxic in the way that Yuki can't decide, and the two main male leads are constantly strung along, but they also string her into like these nefarious political plots that I don't think any high schooler should have to go through. Wait, um, Isabel, have you seen Vampire Night? Yes, I was very invested to that for no reason at all, and yes, it. I've completely forgotten about it, mostly because I read through the whole thing, and I was like, this is not working, I don't know what's going on, I don't know who the characters are, why are we doing this? Um, I just realized a parallel, guys, listen to me, so you know how we were talking about Twilight? This was the yeah. otaku girl version of Twilight. <laughs> Oh no! Why? Because and there's also a love triangle in Twilight. I had before uh, Stephanie Myers had ripped off of Vampire Night. No, and here's the most embarrassing part because you know we could like taught Twilight readers all they want, but we watched the series from beginning to end, and some of us picked up the manga too. Yeah, so. Okay, you know I picked up the manga hoping there was a redeeming factor because the manga the the sequel is interesting because they talk a lot about the politics of vampire society after it's been found out. So I was like, okay, we're getting into some deep lore stuff this is going to be like psychopaths where they go into the system and things like that this it's is going to be cool to be like psychopaths no. last word <laughs> that was totally disappointing by Agnes <laughs> <laughs> I like deep lore I like I like reading stuff about politics society structures how people can change the system that's cool stuff you can do that in any era any genre any time period and yet this show really fails on that aspect. And in a sense, it kind of emulates Twilight in that fact too, where there's a very complicated uh, vampire hierarchy, or at least from what I've told. But nah, everyone's just more concerned about Bella actually giving birth. <laughs> um, Isabel, want to go on a, want to go on an intense rant on this, uh, I can't curse, stain it, on this mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have much to say other than Vampire Night was definitely a mess. I have no idea how we were all attracted to it as, you know, younger girls, but 
that was very interesting. <laughs> I think we were, I, I think we were more attracted to like, do we like the bad boy Zero or do we like the oh. cool older brother Kaname, yes. which is very typical shoujo tropes at the time. Okay, but wait. also when you look at the- Okay, okay. But now that you pointed that out, Agnes, so uh, we have to take a vote. So is it bad boy <laughs> or is it cool brother, older brother? <laughs> I mean- the older brother gets shafted off at the end of the series for like a good thousand years because he basically sacrifices himself. So I would say Zero had better chances. Question mark. Okay, Isabel? Yeah, I think for me it was it was definitely the bad boy. I was like full on for Zero. I remember that. And Kaname was just kind of there. <laughs> Kaname's like, come with me. I was like, no. <laughs> no, my dude. Please don't do this to me. <laughs> Like he does, like the whole like you see it in the opening. He like extends a hand to her. I'm like, God. Okay, but at least Vampire Night soundtrack was really, really good. It oh, the good, openings though. are bomb. Yeah. Oh I gosh, now, now this is becoming a Vampire Night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more than There's anything. There's so many things wrong with the series. It's like talking about Bleach and how wrong it is in every single aspect, Ooh. and completely derailing it from the main it point. Did, that, that is some danger zone you are approaching right there, Ag. <laughs> I live for danger. Have you not learned from my personality? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, this whole thing was just such a mess. I mean, like incest aside, because it is incest. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> no, no. I forgot about that. <laughs> How did you forget about that? That was the most disgusting part. <laughs> I was just, I was just so pissed at Yuki because she's so flat. And she couldn't decide which man she wanted. And so she I had a, she had a incest. cool weapon that was a scythe, and I was like, that scythe was wasted on her. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh god, honestly, it's just like all around, it's bad. Like, um, it's just bad. It's, it's just badly bad. executed. Not good relationships. Very toxic because Yuki keeps like leading Zero on. Yuki keeps leading Zero on. Zero keeps forgiving her because he's actually in love with her. Kaname yeah. is an effing liar who lies and <laughs> hides everything and is also his her older brother, which is just ugh. And so, um, you know, but once again, incest aside, he's a liar. And, um, <clears throat> and he's also very mean to Zero in a very homoerotic way. And so, um, which just makes things confusing. Um, and <laughs> is, that, is that why people ship Zero in Kaname too? Yes, that's the <laughs> reason why. Like, I oh, think that scene no. where um, basically Zero like bites Kaname and they're like drinking each other's blood. Or no, Yuki was uh, not Yuki. Sorry, Zero was drinking Kaname's blood, and then they were both thinking of Yuki, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so hot!" And I'm like, "Really?" Because this is very weird to me. So. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to show like the indirect kiss kind of thing but that's kind of disgusting too i mean um, blood is nasty wow. that's even weirder now that you pointed it out because <laughs> you're like they think about yuki well it's like the equivalent of kissing but they're biting each other's necks which i think is more disgusting oh gosh you know agnes this is your fault that our episode has completely derailed <laughs> I saved the best ship for last. We started off strong. Why would you mention something that fits so perfectly in today's topic and yet not perfectly in today's topic? <laughs> because I like being the chaotic element. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, that relationship sucks um, all around. Love triangle, everything about it sucks. It's just not well written. Um, and it's just, it's just a mess, man. It is such a mess. Is there any better way to describe it, aside from the fact that it's a mess? I can't. Uh, cool characters? Uh, cool character designs? I don't know. Oh, that's no, true. The character designs cool. are pretty. Zero had a cool laugh gun, just saying. Yeah, cool gun, cool sight. That's, that's pretty much what I can say about it. <laughs> and the fact that it was, like, this kind of, like, emo, goth kind of anime that came out during the pinnacle of the emo period, at least oh, in the yeah. U.S., that mm -hmm. was very appealing to Western uh, watchers. Oh, for sure. 100%. Everyone wanted to be the edgy zero. Everybody wanted to be the Yuki who's like smooshed between two guys who can't emote well. <laughs> oh, hey, there's a toxic element. Hey, guys who cannot emote well, um, 
The risk that comes with not emoting well is sometimes they are genuinely unable to handle their emotions healthily, and that becomes toxic real, real quick if they can't do it. So there we go. We there found go. our underlying oh. theme. All Yay! Right. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we are reaching the end of this episode, which is great because we are about to go on a rant of some other time. <laughs> um, so I hope you listeners enjoyed listening to us talk about, um, you know, toxic relationships in anime or specifically toxic romantic relationships and, you know, which ones we found problematic and specifically our reasons why as to we found them problematic. Um, and, you know, let us know if you agree or disagree. It's completely okay if you disagree with us. Um, we love hearing about other people's opinions. And um, we cannot wait to be back with you guys next time. So, bye, everyone. Bye. bye. Thanks for joining. <laughs>